Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. Let's see you want The Truth News Network. Rules for thee, but not for me. How about cash after cash of documents found locked in the garage next to the president's Corvette, the president who excoriated another man for having his documents in a locked room under the watchful eye of the archives and the Secret Service? But here's the question we really should be asking of this eco-zealot thou shalt not drill president. Is that an electric Corvette? Well, now that you've got perspective, this is TN. The Truth News Network. And truth is what we do. And the doer is Dan Newman. If you have perspective, I mean, you've got it all together. You've figured out everything for yourself and you have all the answers. Please, call us. (laughs) Give us the answers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Friday edition. We're going to wrap up the week together here at TNN Live. Me and you, that's what it's all about. We get together every weekday morning, 9 to 11 a.m., and we just kind of peel back the layers of insanity. (laughs) And there is a lot of insanity floating around, and guess where it's floating around? All over Washington, D.C., and a little bit down in Palm Beach, Florida. Mar-a-Lago and all of the incidents surrounding everything to do with this president and everything to do with the last president. We've got President Joe Biden. He's like a deer in the headlights. He's busted. We're going to dig into that. And then, of course, we have the 900-pound gorilla story in the room today, which is former President Donald Trump, we are told, was indicted Seven-count indictment yesterday. So we're going to dig into all of it. Steve Baker's going to join us toward the bottom of the hour, and he's going to give us a little inside information about the Trump indictments. So it's going to be a long morning. This is one of those days I know it's tough to listen to two hours of a show, especially during late morning or mid-morning for some On a Friday, you got to finish everything up for the week so you can breathe easy and have a great weekend. But you're going to have to hang in tight here. There's some serious stuff happening, really serious stuff, life-changing things, historical things. What are they all about? What are they? (laughs) Well, just Just sit tight. We're going to put it all together together. And before the insanity, how about a little rest? My purring Bavarian machine Required a drink of gasoline I swerved to a city named St. Augustine In Upper Florida I drove through the town And quite by chance hooked up with a lady circumstance produced to renew my heart with true romance which she did indeed she lives around the corner from the fountain of youth around the corner from the fountain love is around the corner from the fountain the fountain of youth Around the corner from the fountain of youth Around the corner from the 
lives around the corner from the fountain of youth. Around the corner from the fountain. Love is around the corner from the fountain, the fountain of youth. What gives around the corner from the fountain of youth? Around the corner from the fountain. Love lives around the corner from the fountain, the fountain of youth. If music be the food of love, she's an etude of love, and all I have to say is play on her shapes, perfect symmetry, which I observe with three hips and three arrays for Mr. Ponce de Leon. Three hips and three hoorays for Mr. Ponce de Leon. the other one 
oh, it's just a conspiracy theory. Which one does the mainstream media say is incredible, real credible problems legally? That, of course, would be the former president, Donald Trump. We're going to get into all of the details in a moment, but of course, the current president is now on his way to being revealed to have participated in real hardcore bribery when he was vice president of the United States. Isn't it ironic that both of these stories broke with proof, so-called proof, of the charges that each of these are being um, forced to receive and explain, and it all broke on the exact same day. I don't know about you, but I don't think that is a uh, just a coincidence. I think the Biden administration knew it was coming, and they purposely pushed Trump out to get exposed yesterday for so-called crimes handling classified documents and information the same day that it was proven, documented, documentary proven that Joe Biden broke the law and was part of a bribery screen. So let's start with the former president. I mean, chronologically, that's the way we should do it. And yes, Former President Trump announced yesterday evening about five in the afternoon that a federal court in Miami has indeed indicted him. The indictment is currently sealed. However, Trump connected the charges to documents that he held after he left the White House. He released a statement about the charges, and here's what it said. The corrupt corrupt Biden administration has informed my attorneys that I've been indicted seemingly over the boxes hoax even though Joe Biden has 1,850 boxes of classified documents at the University of Delaware, more boxes in Chinatown and D.C., with even more boxes at the University of Pennsylvania and documents strewn all over his garage floor where he parks his Carvette and which is secured by only a garage door that is paper thin and stays open most of the time. That's from former President Trump. So let's take a few minutes here. Instead of me just going and finding little tidbits, last night I watched as Laura Ingram on Fox News on her show, at the top of the show, she launched into a really good explanation of what's going on. So I thought, hey, it's appropriate. Let's let Laura explain it to us all. Earlier this evening, the news came from the defendant himself. Donald Trump told his millions of followers on Truth Social that he was going to be indicted. And he's also being ordered to report to federal court in Miami on Tuesday by 3 p.m. Now, the criminal indictment and the supporting filings against Trump have yet to be officially unsealed. But we've been informed the seven counts in them include the willful retention of national defense information, corruptly concealing documents, a conspiracy to obstruct justice, and also 18 U.S.C. uh, 1001 false statements. Now, let's not pretend here, because over the next year, maybe more than that, maybe longer, we're going to be seeing a very complicated legal process that will unfold regarding this indictment. And we're going to cover it every step of the way as it does unfold. And I'm sure at different points, you're going to see Merrick Garland, the attorney general on the Hill, insisting 
that this prosecution is all being done by the books without political fear or favor. Motions are going to be filed. Cross motions are going to be filed. Leaks will happen, but maybe in an unconventional way. But I want to be very clear up front here. Tens of millions of Americans believe that Donald Trump is being indicted by the FBI because he's a political opponent of the D.C. establishment and Joe Biden. And of course, he's the most popular Republican in the GOP today. The swamp can't let it stand. They can't risk that Trump will actually win in 2024. That's what the people believe. And after two and a half years of positively ruinous Democrat policies, more voters than ever across various ethnicities are seeing that Trump's foreign policy, that was far more practical, his economic policy brought prosperity to the working class, his trade policy kept China on its heels, and it's, his border was not out of control. So by comparison, look, Biden's been a complete and utter nightmare. His approval is now sitting in the low 30s in the economy, immigration, foreign policy, you name it. He's blown it. And it's why his supplicants in the media were breathless and hyping the drama tonight. It's historic. I mean, we've it never seen absolutely. a former president face federal charges yeah, it, before. It's absolutely historic. I mean, this is probably the most significant politically, uh, most significant historically, the uh, most historically important criminal case since the Aaron Burr case in, at the beginning of the 19th century when he was tried for treason. And let's be real. If Trump, let's say, agreed more along the lines with someone like Liz Cheney on important issues or Mitt Romney or Mitch McConnell, he wouldn't be getting indicted tonight. Now, remember, by the way, that Gavin Newsom has already said that he thinks Ron DeSantis has committed a crime by sending all those migrants to California recently. So the lesson here that the elites want you to learn, everybody to know, is that if you're a serious threat to official Washington, they will investigate you, they will figure out a way to prosecute you, and they will hound you until you give in and give up. Now, it's always been within the capacity, we know that, of the executive branch to put its political enemies in prison. But we as a country know that that's just a terrible precedent to set. It does enormous dan damage to our standing in the world, all the people who claim that they care about the world community and their views. Because how do we as a nation go forward railing against Vladimir Putin or Xi for prosecuting their political foes, harassing their political foes, intimidating their political foes? How do we do that from now on with a straight face? And finally, if you're a Republican in office today or you want to be in national office and you consider this indictment a big relief, your ticket to relevance, finally a way to dump Trump, Boy, are you in for a rude awakening. The GOP base, even those who maybe aren't sure about Trump, they're not going to stand for a party that allows its de facto leader to be relentlessly targeted, maybe even imprisoned if they have their way, by the agencies that we, the taxpayers, fund. So tonight, more than ever, we need GOP office holders and would-be office holders to speak up and to speak out as soon as possible. This indictment will be an embarrassment to the country and should be dismissed immediately before any more damage is done. So there you get the ground basis for, I guess, the so-called logical indictment, seven-count indictment of Donald Trump.
don't understand it, don't really have all the facts, and we have an in-house expert that's every once in a while he is in-house, but most of the time he's in either North Carolina or Washington, D.C. You hear him every Tuesday here at TNN Live, Steve Baker. Steve joins us now from some zip code somewhere. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Hey, good morning, Dan. I'm good. Um, I know you have been really busy. You broke a story yesterday. It'll go live this weekend at TNN, at Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And you probably haven't been able to dig in to the ins and outs of the Trump indictment stuff. But I know you have been watching it develop over a long period of time. We all have. And we knew that it was probably inevitable that this administration was going to do something to try to keep Donald Trump from being eligible to run against Joe Biden as the Republican nominee for the 2024 presidency. And it looks like they may have been successful. So what is your gut feeling on all this? Well, let me let me uh, <laughs> let me lay the groundwork myself uh, for what I think about this entire uh, masquerade that we're going through right now. Is that yesterday I got a call uh, from a producer at uh, OAN, uh, and they asked me if I would do a seven-minute segment uh, yesterday at five thirty on the the coming or potentially coming at that time. Trump indictment. And I had to, I had to take off my other hat because I've been working for 48 hours on this other breaking story that Joe Hanneman from the Epic Times and I have been uh, working on for several days and we were collaborating on this story. And so I thought, okay, well, I, I can do that. I, you know, I, I, I spent 25 years writing about politics. I can put my politics hat on. And so I, and it, it, there's some crossover, as you know, because it's the same DOJ that I've been uh, viciously going against here for the last couple of years. And in some cases have been going against me, but I, I can, I can make that switch. So we recorded the segment at five thirty yesterday. And then that segment was to air at 8 PM last night. And of course, by the time the segment was to air, it was already out of date because the news dropped so uh, quickly last night. And so I, I sent a text over to the producer and said, well, our, our timing was bad on that, wasn't it? Because we were talking about the coming indictment instead of the indictment that had just dropped. But I, you know, I was, so I was ready. I, I, I obviously am following what's going on in the rest of the world. I'm not, I'm not a one trick pony. I, I can walk and chew gum at the same time as they say. So there's, there's a lot uh, to, to, analyzing this and I know you, you may have already referenced this but you know this is the, this is the most unprecedented thing or certainly one of the most unprecedented things we've ever seen in our nation's history it is technically an unprecedented uh, uh, feature in in presidential politics but the 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 unprecedented nature of this action is just simply off the charts because never before has a current president's Department of Justice indicted a former president for felonies. That's never happened. But more importantly, that former president is at the same time the current president's chief challenger in the upcoming election. And that is absolutely stunning. This is historical on so many levels. And, uh, the, you know the the question that I have is, and you're gonna you may get a kick out of this or not. I don't know. You know, you guys you guys know that uh, I've 
never been a big fan of Donald Trump, but I've also found myself in the last two years defending him against the MSM and against the DOJ and various elements of the deep state. I spend more time defending him than I do otherwise. But there's a couple of questions here that are are pretty pretty amazing. You probably recall that Trump surged ahead of DeSantis in the polling when after he was indicted on those New York charges. Remember that? Yeah. He yeah. didn't. He, he didn't lose position. He, I mean, the gap between Trump and DeSantis. In fact, in many polls, uh, DeSantis was actually ahead leading up to those DeSantis, uh, the those indictments. And then suddenly, Trump's base, his supporters, surged him ahead. And and it's because then we see the injustice that's happening here. We see a politically motivated hit job unlike anything that we've ever seen before in this country's history. Certainly in years of my lifetime, we've never seen anything close to this. I mean, there was nothing close to this uh, in, the, in, in the Nixon Watergate scandal. And so we saw Trump surge ahead of DeSantis in the polling after those New York indictments. And so I'm starting, I'm starting to hear this, you know, wild theory from certain quarters that these new indictments hold with, hang with me here are actually designed by the MSM and the deep state to strengthen Trump versus DeSantis because the Biden regime actually fears a head-to-head Biden-DeSantis run more than they fear a Biden-Trump run. Stop right there. Stop right there just for a second. Okay, you and I both deal with the mainstream media every day, pretty much all day Mm -hmm. long. And we have lots of understanding of what they're about. Honestly, Steve, what you just said, and I've heard it, I've heard that already. I will say this, uh, Rasmussen did a quick overnight poll last night and of 1500 people, they polled probable voters, 1500 people, 70% of those 1500 probable voters are positive that the Biden administration is using the classified document, DocuGate, against Donald Trump to keep him from being eligible to run in 2024. I yes. I can't there's, there's I can't that other side. Yeah, I can't imagine a scenario when the mainstream media, and it would take all of them to get together, and they do this phone call thing most mornings. We <laughs> verified that, it. Yes. Yeah. So they are colluding with each other. But imagine what it would take to get enough of them to agree on everything sufficient to break a story like broke yesterday to do it at one time. I think they just suddenly found themselves an opportunity and it was going to happen at some point, but it was perfect to happen yesterday and they had to flip the switch quickly because it came out that the document, the 1023 FBI form, that that whistleblower had been pointing to for months now that proved that Biden was guilty of bribery. And so that thing came out yesterday. Finally, everybody on the House Oversight Committee was able to see it in the skiff in the Capitol. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, who you're going to hear from a little bit later this morning in the show, she went public with it and talked about the content. And all of a sudden, somebody in D.C. said, 
hey, you know that Trump thing we've been holding? Y'all call and announce they're going to be a seven-count indictment tonight so everybody will forget about what Biden did. That scenario, I think, is more plausible than believing the mainstream media is smart enough to collude like they would have to in the scenario that you mentioned. It could be either way or it could be both. Well, in that scenario, you have to remember, let's just talk about the mainstream media for a, a moment. When do they get their highest ratings for the last seven years? It's when they put Trump on the screen. Good, bad, ugly. Of course, they never portray him in a, in a favorable light. But when they put Trump in the screen and they obsess over him, look at the ratings that CNN got in the Trump town hall, better than they've had in years. Uh, they put um, anybody else on a CNN town, CNN town hall and there's you know 15 people watching. But the point being is, is they get massive ratings because of Trump. Keeping him in the headlines serves their bottom line, follow the money. Now we know that not only is there moneyed interest in media, uh, whether you're the New York Times and you're selling classified ads or you're CNN and you're selling uh, Bud Light ads, whatever the case may be. The point being is, is that they have to, they have to generate revenue and Trump has been the single largest revenue generator for them uh, in, in the last seven years of anybody. So, one of the things that's going to happen is, first of all, they've got to figure out whether they're going to try this case in Florida or D.C. Obviously, for those who want to see it done much more quickly, possibly, as you as you indicated, affect the election against Trump, get these um, get these indi- or the, these charges turning into convictions as quickly as possible, then they probably need to do that in Florida. Because if they move that to D.C., I can tell you firsthand that D.C.'s court system, it's bogged down. I mean, it's horribly bogged down. It goes all the way back to the COVID regime. They are so far behind there. That's And, and you, know, you know, I'm not happy about this, uh, all of these things related to the January 6th defendants. But there's there's a reason why some of these trials are happening for people that have already been in prison for two years, two and a half years. And now we're seeing court dates set as long as three years out for some of these defendants. It's because they just couldn't keep up because of the COVID lockdowns. And then in addition to that, because of this overwhelming number of indictments as a result of January 6th, the first thousand, and now there's another thousand uh, in the works uh, yet again, they're bogging the district court down. So if they want it done quickly to affect the election so that state legislatures then make rulings, because, you know, the, the states can do whatever they want to with this. I mean, I know this is the 14th Amendment thing, and it could be a national way of potentially keeping him off the ticket. But these blue states, can they can decide on their own at any time. They don't need a conviction. They just need a reason to keep Trump off of the ballots in those states, which means even though he may not have any chance of winning those elections in the general election, the primaries, they happen. That means they're taking primary um uh, votes away from Trump by just not allowing him to be there. So there's many there's many scenarios that we can look at here. So if they want that done, they're going to want to try him in Florida because they can move a lot, a lot quicker. If they do this and if they relocate it to D.C., the likelihood of a conviction there is much greater. You see where I'm going with that. 
Yeah. They can go quicker in Florida, yeah. but they have a much, much less likelihood of conviction in Florida. They move to D.C. It, it there no, there's just I just don't see any way they're going to fast track this. Uh, Trump's lawyers will be able to hold this thing off until well off after the election in D.C. And then in addition to that, uh, on the other side, they know that they've got, well, I mean, 92.3 percent of the D.C. voters voted for Biden. That's the jury pool. They know they can convict him in D.C. So this is just going to be an interesting fight in and of itself. On your comments about keeping Trump off the ballot for 2024, it can't happen. It's unconstitutional to do that. He can. Anybody, yeah. anybody who is in prison, if they meet the qualifications of serving as president that the Constitution lays out, which basically are only you got to be 40 years old, you got to be a native-born American, you can have outstanding warrants and you can have indictments, you can be in jail and you still yeah. are eligible to run for president. So yeah. I don't I don't think uh, the United the United States Supreme Court wouldn't let it stand if courts uh, excuse me if states just started arbitrarily keeping him from going on the ballot. But I think you're right on regarding the timing of doing this. They are rolling the dice. They being the Department of Justice, if they want to get this resolved and keep Trump from running against Biden, the only place they could do that would be in Florida. And they're rolling the dice down there because in Florida, remember, he won Florida. Trump's very mm -hmm. popular in the state of Florida. So that means a jury pool that's going to hear these indictments, the trial, whenever it's going to happen, if it's happening down there, it's going to be pro-Trump. There's no question about it. I smell yeah. desperation <laughs> is what I am getting from the timing for all this. Merrick Garland is under siege. Christopher Ray, FBI director, he's under siege. The FBI, the Department of Justice, they are all showing their depends. They're sticking out of their, their pants, and they're being shown to be pretty evil and running a pretty coordinated shop. And it's very, very obviously pointed against any conservative when anything comes up. And in the past, they've needed for all those to happen in Washington where they control the district courts, the federal courts, and the jury pool there are 99% hard left. So they win everything. And then this comes up. I think the timing is going to bite them in the butt. I really do. I don't see how they can use this the way they thought they were going to be able to use it to keep Trump out of the election. And what happens in the meantime? You, Trump's ratings soar overnight after the seven indictment thing. It hadn't even been done yet. We don't know what's in them for sure. And Americans are saying, this is not right. This is not fair. That's because people like me who are not Trump fans are, are screaming, you know, from our rooftops going, this is not right. Yeah. This is not America. This is, in fact, 
This is despotic, third world, banana republic. Put, put your label on it however you want to. This is the kind of things that happen in uncivilized societies or uh, totalitarian societies where the, the reins of power, the, the, the kingship, the emperorship, the um, uh, despotic ruler, they, they only change power by defeating, killing, assassinating the guy in front of you. That's, that's how it's done elsewhere, and that's what this is. This is – it's not, not a literal assassination, but it is a political hit job. There's no, um, no doubt about that. And, but you know, remember, you know, and this is the thing that the left does have to remember, that th- these pendulums can swing hard in this country. Yeah. And if the Biden administration's D- Department of Justice presses forward with this indictment, then Biden and the entire Biden family – are actually setting themselves up for a retributive attack, you know, from a, a follow-up future GOP administration. And we know, you know, that Biden is extremely vulnerable in these foreign no, financial corruption no, charges. No, yeah, we, 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 we know that, but it all hinges on one thing, Dan. You and I have talked about it uh, uh, quite a bit in recent weeks. The, the GOP only controls one half of one branch of the three branches of government. Yes. Are they going to do their job? If they don't come out swinging, I mean, literally this is what America wants. And when I say America, at least half, if not more, this is exactly what Trump supporters want. This is exactly what grassroots Republicans want. They want to see the sharks in the GOP pool chase this blood in the water because here it is the time is now we have absolute irrefutable evidence of a political hit job at the exact same moment that we know (laughs) beyond any shadow of a doubt that biden has revealed or the, the the revelation of biden's corruption has been revealed and if they don't do anything now dan we are done as a country oh the republic's over well, hey, yes. as we wind this down, let me put you on the spot. As it looks today, and we don't know everything. I mean, we haven't even seen these seven indictments. I don't know if we'll see them today. I was pretty shocked that they didn't put them out. Um, maybe it's because of the weekend. And if it's typical D.C., they'll release them this afternoon about 5.30, so they'll miss the big news cycle of the day and the evening and night. But all that rolled in, the uncertainty. Give me your projection about Trump in this whole thing. Are they going to get him over this? Dan, I can only say what I just said. Okay. If the GOP does not do their job, they are going to get him. If the GOP does their job, it's going to be very difficult because in order to bring equal and similar and rightful charges against the Biden family regime, the Biden you know, crime family syndicate, if they don't do this, and it's going to be tough because they don't control the Department of Justice, but they have other means. They have other things they can do. They can, you know, you know the, the GOP can cut off funding to yeah. the Department of Justice. Yeah. They, can sh- they can shut the entire operation down overnight. And that, and that means none of these judges, none of these lawyers, none of these uh, assistant U.S. attorneys, 
Merrick Garland all the way down will even see a paycheck. They can take their money away from them and say, no, this is not happening. If they don't do their job, then this is going forward. Honestly, when when I heard this yesterday and I got somebody sent me a text uh, probably 30 minutes before I saw it in the news and I went, oh, crap. The timing on this is the worst it could be with the upcoming election. And then I started thinking about it and I got kind of, uh, kind of juiced up because I like Mm -hmm. a fight and I know Donald Trump likes a fight. Most Americans don't, they avoid confrontation and that's human nature. But in this case, especially with these numbers I saw overnight from Rasmussen, it looks like the American people are locked in and they're saying, bring it on folks. We're ready to get involved in this battle. Buddy, we are so appreciative of everything that you do. We thank you for being here every Tuesday and appreciate your wisdom. I knew you had some thoughts that probably I hadn't thought of yet. You always do, and I wanted to bring you in on this conversation. You have a wonderful weekend, and thanks again. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Steve Baker, he always has some great insight. Now, we're going to take one break. You're not going to want to miss right after the break. Laura Ingram had some of the most credible judges and prosecutors on her show last night breaking down what is actually happening and what we can expect. That's next at TNN Live. Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to PolandSpring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select sizes only 20 up, 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. I want to make something clear about the show today, about that we have two really 
nasty conundrums going on in Washington, D.C. And as we said at the top of the show, they have to do with the current president, and they also have to do with the former president. We're talking about, of course, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Trump's the one that's on the hot seat right now. There's no question about it. Uh, These indictments that came down last night got to be worked out, got to get a timeline, got to figure how this is all going to happen and who's going to do what, who's responsible for what. That's number one. We're dealing with that today. But in our second hour, we have the Biden family syndicate issue to deal with. And I have actual cold hard facts about what's going on in the Biden world and what it looks like over our shoulders that would be behind us and what's ahead there. But I wanted to go back to Laura Ingram's show last night. She had on some attorneys, people that know and understand not just the general federal prosecution program and the way it works, but specifically about this one. Let's pick up where we ended with Laura Ingram just before Steve Baker joined us. Joining me now, Jim Trusty, attorney for President Trump and former federal prosecutor. Jim, um, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, What can you tell us about the charges as you know them? Well, we don't have the actual indictment yet. I suppose they'll give that to us at some point between now and Tuesday afternoon. Maybe they're too embarrassed to give it to us early. I don't know. But uh, it's a combination of theoretical charges. Again, we just have a summary. We don't have the indictment in front of us, but it looks like uh, the Espionage Act, which is kind of laughable on its face, um, several types of obstruction and conspiracy and then false statements. So they're kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink up on the wall in in an investigation that even in just recent days, we have brought to light criminal obstruction behavior by the investigators. You know, it's a, it's an amazing moment, Laura. I have not built a career attacking DOJ. I was a prosecutor for 27 years. I spent 17 years there. Loved it. But this is outrageous that they actually have prosecutors who literally, among other things, and we've categorized a, a number of abuses, literally told an attorney that he probably won't get his judgeship if he doesn't flip his guy against the president. You know, you don't have to be a a lawyer to recognize there's something really wrong with that. One of their main investigators, one of their main prosecutors, I should say, said that in front of five others who kind of looked down at their shoes and didn't say anything, basically committing a federal crime at the Department of Justice to try to, to bring home cooperation from who they viewed as an important witness. It is astounding that that's not the real headline as opposed to this indictment. Well, NBC News um, uh, justice correspondent Jim says that Trump doesn't have a defense and that this legal strategy uh, that he has, I guess that you're leading, will just focus on discrediting the DOJ. Watch this. Uh, Trump's lawyers are really not keen on arguing the facts here or the law or arguing that their client is, is not guilty of these potential charges, but they're more concerned with arguing about how the DOJ played hardball. And look, they did play hardball in this case. And we'll just have to see whether the Justice Department did anything wrong in the process of prosecuting this case. Jim, the argument that you won't actually argue the charges, you're just going to argue the reputation of yeah. the department itself. No, I mean, look, this was basically trying to appeal to somebody in that chain, that Praetorian guard for the Democratic Party, to have a conscience. You know, the attorney general is hiding behind the special counsel. He still controls 
special counsel. But he sat there and hid, didn't want to meet with us, didn't want to talk, didn't want to consider the ethical problems. We raised it quietly at first, loudly now, that their investigation is fatally flawed from outrageous misconduct, perhaps even criminal misconduct. But make no mistake, I mean, there are layers of defenses to these charges. And the most fundamental thing, just so your viewers get this, Laura, there's this thing called the Presidential Records Act. It is precisely dealing with presidents and former presidents and basically saying, and DOJ agreed with this years ago in a case involving Bill Clinton, that the former president gets to decide what he keeps. He should work really closely with archives. They can ask him nicely. If they get mad, they think he's holding on to too many things. They have a remedy called civil suits. There is no criminal penalty for violating the Presidential Records Act. It's a reflection of the fact that historically, before Nixon, they had completely unfettered rights to keep everything. Now we're saying at least please work with archives so we can see some of the stuff you created while you're in the White House. So well, what, that was the yeah. starting point. And by the way, Laura, one, one quick point on this. Sure. The referral from the National Archives to DOJ came from the White House actually violating the Administrative Procedures Act, and they lied about this. They're the ones that started this thing. The, the, poli the politicized bureaucrats at NARA, the archivists, were happy to push it forward and into this Praetorian Guard of DOJ who's hell-bent on well, prosecuting them no matter how many rules they break. One of the, one of the claims, I believe, one of the uh, counts will involve a, a potential obstruction of justice, which, as you know, in my old uh, career as a, as a white-collar criminal defense attorney, uh, Jim, was always considered very seriously, along with conspiracy uh, counts, which perhaps will be involved in this indictment as well, listed in the indictment. The, the, the concern that is raised that if, if the president was told not to move boxes and they have someone on video indeed moving boxes, even if there was nothing in the boxes, those particular boxes, that that could be a problem. Or if tape recordings exist, that where someone tells someone, move that, that's where people get into trouble. How concerned about that are you tonight? Yeah, not, well, look, not, not as much as you might think, because if you really know the facts, and I can't play out all the facts on TV, but if you really know the facts, there's absolutely no intent there. There's nothing to make sense. In fact, you, you can't even obstruct a non-crime as a starting principle. So when you have the Presidential Record Act defense, when you have declassification as a defense, then there's really nothing. I mean, he could have had a party throwing stuff in a bonfire, and it wouldn't be obstruction. But the reality is these guys have been desperately grasping for an obstruction theory for a political reason which is they keep trying to set up this, oh, Joe Biden's wonderful holding on to stuff that he stole from a skiff in 1974, but Trump just didn't answer the bell. Well, the last thing the president said to DOJ, to that same guy who extorted a lawyer, was if you need anything, just ask. He told his lawyer at the time, show him where the stuff is kept in the storage room, and they did that. And so he says, just let us know. The next thing he gets is a letter that says, please put a lock on the door, which he does. And then DOJ goes black because that prosecutor was desperate to get a search warrant even before he had ever met the president. He had even, the Washington Post reports that that prosecutor, before they even did a subpoena, was saying, how do I get the nose under the tent at Mar-a-Lago, or words to that effect. So that's what happened. They dropped off a cliff because they didn't want to cooperate with President Trump's lawyer. The president was cooperative through and through. The lawyer would have been, but they went radio black until they show up in their khakis with their uh, laptops and their guns and their badges, and they do an unprecedented raid with really a general warrant that violates the Fourth Amendment, but we'll do a separate show on that some other time. Uh, Jim, do you think that if President Trump, this is a rhetorical question, had 
said last year recently, now I'm, I'm actually not running for president. I'm not going to I'm not going to be involved in the 2024 campaign. I'm retiring from politics. How likely would it have been that they would have gone after him? Well, I think 0%? the fervor would have dropped 0.5%. How about that? You know, really <laughs> yeah, hard to figure out. What does that say. mean? That's less than one, right? Yeah. Yeah, so a really small percentage. The only way, I mean, look, there, there is abject hatred for President Trump in some of the circles of DOJ and the FBI. So, uh, you know, he, he could have basically, like, saved an orphanage from a fire, and these guys would say he's lucky and they'd still go after him. The other thing that kind of, that I think affects that whole equation is that Delaware, where apparently all investigations go to die, in Delaware you've got horrific family-wide corruption, foreign corruption scandals involving the Biden family. As We're well as the that. laptop from hell, and they're and they're mm -hmm. slow walking the heck out of that. So you know that's always cover for whatever soft deal they want to give Hunter to do something against President Trump. Say, look how balanced we are. We we uh, softened a little misdemeanor tax plea for Hunter, and we also indicted a president for something no, that's well, not criminal. That's that's uh, facially absurd. Now, uh, the New York Times just uh, reported tonight, Jim, that one of the charges is in fact a violation of the Espionage Act. Now, your reaction to that, if that is indeed the case. Yeah, I mean, look, they're dusting off stuff that, uh, you know, across the board was apparently not in play when when Hillary, uh, you know, bleach bitted 30,000 emails that were under subpoena. But the Espionage Act includes a whole bunch of language that not just that the documents implicate national defense, uh, but that your intent Tent. is to violate the sovereignty of the United States, uh, to hurt the United States or to help a foreign power. That's absurd under any theory of this case. And they've got a whole bunch of rotating theories because they, they can't find the facts they want. But there's absolutely nothing remotely like that. You know, if he holds on to some documents or people pack documents and he has them in the storage room, uh, even if he talks about those documents or talks about the existence of them, that is light years away from the from the specific intent that they need for an espionage case. Jim, what's the president's mood tonight? I know he knew this was coming, uh, but give us a sense of what the man's feeling tonight. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting mix, Laura. You know, people think that uh, that you know when you're accused of something. It's pretty natural, at least from my client base, to really turn inward, right? You know, you're like, what the heck? How is this happening? It's a particularly hard moment when you're innocent. And he's actually innocent. You know, it's a little easier when you've done something wrong and you go, ah, oh, crap, they finally caught up with me. That's not what we're talking about. So there is that kind of initial shock. I think he's got a lot of people around him expressing support. And that's a mixed bag. It kind of puts it in your head as, as a very depressing notion. But he also doesn't lose track of the absolute crossing of the Rubicon as a country, you know, the historic nature of a sitting president unleashing the hounds to go after a non-criminal event to, to basically incapacitate the opposition. It, it is an astounding third world moment. And again, that's not my shtick mm. as an attorney to go around saying that in cases, but that's where we are as a country. And, you know, the other people that are celebrating tonight better realize that they're letting something out of the genie bottle that's going to hurt this country for generations. Well, and the investigations can be turned on them and will be turned on them if this is allowed to stand. Jim, uh, we appreciate it. Obviously, we're covering every aspect of this. Thank you very much. Those guys, they know what they're talking about. Laura asked the right questions. She is an attorney herself. She actually clerked at the U.S. Supreme Court in the early days of her legal career. 
asking the right questions, getting the right answers. If you heard or watched any of the mainstream, let's call them legacy outlets last night reporting on this, they were foaming at the mouth. They were so excited. Finally, we're getting the orange man. And they've got the espionage act against him. On CNN, there was one segment. It was 15 minutes long. And they talked about nothing but the Espionage Act. And it is not provable in this case. None of the facts, the things that we know that are factual about the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, even fall in line with maybe being part of prosecuting Donald Trump for violating the Espionage Act. But when do facts matter? When do they really matter? (laughs) When you're a leftist, when you uh, are going after Donald Trump or any other conservative, truth doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. It's whatever the the purpose of the day. We got to get the orange man. We can't let him go back to D.C. He destroyed us in his four years there. He was successful at showing Americans that conservatism really works, capitalism really works, and we want that socialism thing. Wow. Well, guess what? Biden's in the crosshairs of real wrongdoing called bribery. Up next. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. I love a good deal. <laughs> I love finding good deals like this because this Fritos Chili Cheese Junior Wrap is 99 cents. I feel like they just marked it wrong, but I'm not telling. Right. Sonic Fritos Chili Cheese Junior. In a world where a president can be censored by social media in his own country, you need a break from the madness. Your doctor of sanity again, Dan Newman. Unfortunately, um, we don't have in our pockets a break from the insanity. (laughs) What we're trying to do is navigate right through it. Well, guess what? That FBI whistleblower that uh, filled out that 1023 form at the beginning of a potential FBI investigation, it was buried. Who knows who buried it, but it disappeared for several years and they never began a real investigation into it. It just kind of got put in the back of a drawer, one of those kinds of things. Well, it's out now, not in the public purview, but it was in a skiff that 
private exclusive uh, room in the bowels of the Capitol where they can go look at, they being members of Congress that are authorized to do so, they can go look at these classified documents, can't take them out of the room, can't take pictures of them, but you can go read them. The entire oversight committee was finally approved by FBI Director Christopher Wray to take a look at them. That's exactly what happened. And guess what? According to that one ten twenty three, President Biden was paid $5 million by an executive of the Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings, where his son Hunter sat on the board. This is coming from a confidential human source and somebody that's been working with and very successfully working with the FBI as a whistleblower for years. The sources on the contents of the FBI-generated FD-1023 form that alleges a criminal bribery scheme between then-VP Joe Biden and a foreign national that involved influence over U.S. policy decisions It is not the only form that's involved in this. We didn't know that. There are two more forms, 1023 forms. And we were told last night, you probably didn't hear about it because of all the stuff regarding Trump going on, but we were told that House oversight people, execs, are going to be able to go look at those two forms next week. We don't know what's included in those, but the one that we now know contains a lot of nasty stuff was detailed by Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday afternoon. She went in and viewed the documents, and immediately when she came out of the skiff, she wrote down all that she saw from that 1023 form, and she went public and talked about its contents. And what's at stake? Reading this form today uh, shows the pure distinction. This this information, this source that came forward, it's a paid informant by the FBI. This has nothing to do with Giuliani. This has nothing to do with the information that he brought forward in 2020. It's totally separate, and it's extremely credible because he's a paid informant. Um, I made some notes after I left the skiff. Uh, based on the information, and I'll, I'll share that with you guys right now. Um, basically, what was happening there is back in 2015-2016, Burisma was looking to buy uh, a U.S.-based oil and gas company. And this came from being advised by Hunter Biden and his partners. Um, Biden had told, Biden said Shokin was corrupt. That was around the time of this meeting was when Joe Biden as vice president had said that the prosecutor Shokin was corrupt. They hired Hunter on the board to make the problems go away. That's what they specifically said. Um, Hunter advised that they could raise more money if they bought a U.S. company. So the, the informant was trying to do the right thing and trying to advise Burisma that they shouldn't go this route, they should hire an attorney, work out their problems that they were being investigated for because they were having other legal problems, and that's why they were being investigated by this prosecutor, Shokin. The informant was advising them, don't go this route, why would you buy another U.S. company while you're under investigation? That's not a good idea. 
So he's trying to tell him to do the right thing. Um, the owner of Burisma said that Hunter was stupid and that his other business partner was smart. He also said that he paid $5 million to one Biden and he paid $5 million to another Biden. And it was all a bribery to get Shokin fired and end the investigation into Burisma. Uh, the, he also told the informant this is common practice in Russia and Ukraine. It's common practice. It's part of business there. That's how their culture works, that they will pay bribery money in order to get business deals done. And that many businesses, uh, they, they take that into account. They put it in their budget, basically, when they're preparing to buy another company or start another company, that that's just normal. And so over in Ukraine, uh, for them to consider hiring Hunter Biden on the board in order to make their problems go away, which was the prosecutor Shokin, uh, who was investigating Burisma for, for corruption and, and legal problems, this was definitely illegal for a vice president of the United States and their family members. Um, the informant had asked the, the owner of Burisma if he was happy that Trump won, and he said no, he was not happy. Remember, he had invested a lot of money into the Bidens to make his problems go away. But he did say that it would take 10 years for all of us to find out the payments made to the Bidens because of how many bank accounts there were. He said at the time there were no direct payments made to the big guy, but in a meeting later, after he had become more upset as things were unfolding, he told the informant that he has two pieces of evidence showing proof of payment to Hunter and specifically Joe Biden. You see, I think what everyone needs to understand is, is that business owners, at least most smart ones, whether they're good or bad, whether they perform their business in a legal manner or a corrupt manner, they always keep records of their business payments. Uh, accounts and receivables, that's how it's done. And this owner of Burisma kept a record, especially of the bribes. And if you're in an industry where you have to pay bribes to get your business deals done, then you always want to keep keep a record and keep proof of your bribes because that's how you make sure you get people to follow through on what they're done with. Um, what I read today is, is again, shocking. Just as what I read in the Treasury Department with all the SARS report is shocking. But we are going to continue following this investigation. We're going to continue to look into every single thing that we can uncover. Um, we need the FBI to keep cooperating with us. That's extremely important. And I have very high expectations of Christopher Ray that he'll do the right thing and continue uh, showing the, us the information that we're asking for. Um, what I'm upset about, though, is the FBI uh, doesn't think the American people are worthy of this unclassified information. I certainly do. I think the American people deserve to see it and know every single bit of it. And that's why when I left this gift, I made all my notes on, on this piece of paper here so that I could explain everything to the American people. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, her explanation of what she saw when she was in the skiff classified document room in the basement of the Capitol and saw this 1023 FD form, which opened up or was to open up 
a possible investigation that uh, some FBI agent, this particular one, the whistleblower, had been a part of putting it together. And normally what happens when something this critical is revealed, it's turned into a full-blown FBI investigation. But because this was of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, it got shoved to the back of a drawer somewhere, hoping that it would go away. There's going to be a lot more that's going to come out about this, I promise you. And it, in part, had to deal and was probably the trigger for this indictment of former President Donald Trump late yesterday afternoon. Now, remember, we haven't seen the indictments yet, but the public notification that it was imminent and is going to happen came yesterday afternoon. I wonder why. What would the timing be about? Everything timing-wise in Washington, D.C., it never happens naturally. It's all for political purpose. Timing, the actual release, what's being released, it's all for specific political purposes. And in this case, what could the purpose for these Trump indictments, the seven of them, to be announced yesterday? before the indictments are actually issued. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to get the answer to that one. It was because of what came out yesterday that shows Joe Biden is corrupt. He accepted a $5 million bribe. $5 million bribe. And they had to somehow diminish that. What's the easiest way to do it? Draw somebody, draw their attention to something else. Let's get it off the sitting president and get it on the orange man, that evil guy. (laughs) This president had 1,860 boxes. This president, Joe Biden, of classified documents in various locations, four different locations. And remember, he wasn't a U.S. president. U.S. presidents have the unilateral authority to declassify any document. Joe Biden was a vice president. Vice presidents have no authorization. There is no statute in federal law, certainly nothing in the U.S. Constitution that gives a sitting or former vice president authority to handle classified documents at all. 1,860 boxes of classified documents where Joe Biden and his minions put them. Some of those classified documents went all the way back to when he was serving in the U.S. Senate. And he isn't supposed to have them. Even though now he's president. When all this happened, he wasn't. He was over there blackmailing Burisma to get Viktor Shokin, that uh, prosecutor in Ukraine that was investigating Burisma Holdings, where Hunter Biden was drawing a hefty little $55 million. You can't make this stuff up, it's real. So last night on Jesse Waters on Fox, I like to listen to Jesse. 
you know, he's he's a, a cool dude. He's a man of this generation. He's kind of funny. He's humorous. And he communicates really well. He jumped on this topic himself last night. I just wanted for you to hear his opinion of what's up with the Trump indictments. Fox News alert. We're learning what's in the Biden bribe document that the FBI has been trying to hide. And the allegation inside this document is explosive. Sources familiar with the document tell Fox News Digital that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were paid $10 million in bribes by Ukraine. This was while Joe Biden was vice president. A highly credible confidential source had multiple meetings and conversations with a top executive at Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company where Hunter worked. And these conversations stretched for five years. And the source told the FBI about these conversations in June 2020. That's right as Joe Biden was wrapping up the Democrat nomination. The Burisma executive told the FBI's confidential source that Burisma had to pay the Bidens for help getting rid of the Ukrainian prosecutor who was investigating Burisma for corruption. Quote, five million for one Biden, five million for the other Biden, the Burisma executive told the confidential human source. Now, people who've seen the document tell us that the $5 million payments were a kind of retainer agreement that Burisma had with the Bidens to deal with a number of issues, one of which was getting rid of this prosecutor. Other issues Burisma needed Biden's help with was help with oil deals. Now, the executives said they needed to pay Joe Biden because Hunter was quote-unquote dumb and couldn't get much done by himself. People who've seen this document say it looks like a pay-to-play scheme. The confidential source said the Burisma executive told him he paid the Bidens in such a manner through so many different bank accounts that investigators would not be able to unravel this for at least 10 years. Now, this jives with how the Chinese paid the Bidens, laundering money through a maze of LLCs. Now, this document even refers to the big guy. And remember, Joe Biden's referred to as the big guy on Hunter's laptop. The Burisma executive told the confidential source that he didn't pay the big guy directly. And Joe Biden was asked about these bribe allegations today. Listen. The bribery allegation, Congresswoman Nancy Mace says there's damning evidence in the FBI file that you sold out the country. Do you have a response to the congressional Republicans? Where's the money? I'm joking. Mr. President, Mr. President, I'm joking. Biden's answer is interesting, isn't it? Where's the money? He's almost teasing us, isn't he? Like it's a game, like it's a cat and mouse. Well, we know that at least $6 million of Chinese money went to nine Biden family member bank accounts. So that's where the money went. And we know with this document that the Burisma executive disguised the payments to Biden. But can Joe Biden really say he wasn't bribed if his entire family took the money? And he was the one that delivered the goods. We're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> got fired. Now, if you recall, Donald Trump was impeached for asking Ukraine to investigate this pay-to-play scheme. 
A CIA whistleblower close to Biden triggered it when he leaked the Zelensky phone call to Adam Schiff. Now, Donald Trump was impeached for asking for Joe Biden to be investigated. But today, not only is Joe Biden investigating Donald Trump, he could have him arrested any day. Joe Biden might arrest the guy who fingered him for taking bribes. It is now time to begin impeachment proceedings against President Joe Biden. Article 2 of the Constitution says a president may be impeached for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. This credible allegation documents bribery. The House Oversight Committee, Chair James Comer, has pulled only one bank, records from one bank that the Bidens used and found $6 million in Chinese bribes. There were a total of 11 banks that the Bidens used. Now, the House needs to hold impeachment hearings and gather all of the Biden family bank records and unravel the maze of dirty money that poured in from other countries in exchange for American policy decisions. American policy, our policy, isn't for sale. But if this is true, Joe Biden was selling out our country. And there's nothing more treasonous than that. Honestly. Honestly. Jesse's right. Nothing is as bad as what Joe Biden has done. Actually selling our government for cash. Everybody knew and talked about when Barack Obama, President Obiden, uh, Obama, made Joe Biden the go-to guy for everything to do with the nation of Ukraine. When that happened, I asked this. What the heck is Joe Biden doing spending all this time over in Ukraine? Well, he was over there working for the president. They were trying to get Ukraine straightened out. That was the term I was told. Yeah, right. They were over there plowing for money because Ukraine has always been known as the most corrupt financial country in Europe. All it is is a way to launder money through bank accounts illegal arms sales from all over the world. That money is laundered through Ukrainian banks and has been for many, many years. Same thing about drugs, illegal drug traffickers. They do the same thing. And then here comes Joe Biden, the head of the Biden family syndicate, the crime syndicate that is out there doing anything and everything they can to make money for themselves. How else... Can you explain how wealthy Joe Biden is today? Where'd the money come from? The most he could have made in Congress was about $180,000 a year. You don't have five luxury homes, two of them on beaches. You can't do that on a U.S. senator's salary. You can't do it. Well, he wrote a book. Yeah, right. His book was a flop. And he got some money up front as an advance. We know that. But not enough money to be able to have the lifestyle that he had after he left the Obama administration. And he just went out on his own doing whatever it is. Besides having 1,800 boxes of classified documents, and a bunch of them were in the garage next to the Corvette. (laughs) (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. Now, poll taken yesterday. Rasmussen again. 
found that a majority of voters believe strongly that FBI officials tried to cover up a bureau informant file that detailed a $5 million plus $5 million scheme, bribery scheme, involving an exchange of money for policy decisions between Joe Biden and a foreign national. The FBI's informant file linked Joe Biden to the family's business deals in Ukraine. The FBI originated, that file did, from an interview that the Bureau conducted with an informant who is reportedly a highly credible FBI source with a multi-year history dating back to the Barack Obama administration. And our government has paid this whistleblower over the years a total of about $200,000 for information that he's passed along. So this guy is credible, and this thing is taking on a life of its own. When we first heard that snippet that you just heard on the Jesse Waters show, where later, after the uh, Burisma holding thing and the firing of that prosecutor, Victor Shokin, in, in Ukraine, after all that had happened, Joe Biden is actually publicly in a meeting on a little stage with two other guys, and he bragged about what he was able to do bribing them, bribing them to fire Victor Shokin, who happened to be investigating Burisma Holdings, where Hunter Biden was making all that money. This morning, in a prayer meeting that I'm part of every Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Central Time. I actually looked up and shared the verse of Scripture in Timothy. I think it's, I think it's in 2 Timothy. I forget now which, which one, 1 or 2 Timothy, but it's in Timothy. Paul was writing a letter to a disciple that was named Timothy that was kind of under the Apostle Paul's purview over there in the Middle East. And an instruction that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy is where that very famous scripture came from that says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. I hear people misquote it all the time and say that. Money is the root of all evil. It's not. Paul instructed the Apostle Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. And I have told you, those of you that have been here for the four years of the life of TNN Live, I've told you over and over again, if you have any question about anything that happens in politics that just seems to smell a little bit, maybe it's a little off from what you think should be a normal way of doing business, because it's politics. And I've told you for years, when you have those kind of questions, follow the money. Follow the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Wow. First hour and 20 minutes of the show has flown. Thanks to Steve Baker for joining us. Also, the deep dive, the insight that we got from last night's Laura Ingram show, we've got... 40 minutes left in the show, and we're just getting started. Guess who's going to be up before we finish the day? Tucker Carlson. 
Tucker, fired from Fox News, is now over at Twitter, and he did one episode of Tucker on Twitter. That's his new name of his social media platform at Twitter. Tucker on Twitter. Episode two came from last night, and we've got it for you. That plus more right after this. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. of all time, Chicago. I think that's from the album Chicago 8. Came out in 1974, 75. I think it's 74. That was one of the best songs from that album, Call On Me. Wow, wow, wow. We're on the edge. We're living on the edge now. All of us are. We're trying to make heads or tails about all these things that keep slapping us in the face. Now, let me just mention something. And I want to speak to you just for a couple of minutes. You know, this kind of stuff that gets exposed at the national level in politics, it doesn't just happen. There are players in the process of exposure of wrongdoing that really, really work hard. And it's tough what they do. There are two U.S. senators that have diligently, they've been bulldogs at finding all the stuff going on in the Biden family syndicate. You don't hear a lot from them or about them. Chuck Grassley, who is the oldest U.S. senator, Ch- Chuck is from Iowa, he and fellow Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin have been after the Justice Department and the FBI to give us documents and information, us being the American people. Grassley yesterday, he went to the floor of the Senate and he gave a speech and 
Part of what he said, I'm going to tell you specifically, but then we're going to summarize some of the stuff that's gone on so you can understand better what's in play. In his speech, he said, quit playing games. The DOJ and FBI no longer deserve the benefit of the doubt, he said, pointing to the FBI and DOJ's track record of deception all during the Russia collusion hoax all the way up to what's going on right now. Christopher Wray, that's the FBI director, he made one excuse after another to not produce the document that detailed this bribery allegation against Biden, even refusing to admit it even existed until Senator Grassley showed him and told him that he'd already seen a copy of it. Even just the existence of this explosive allegation, which reportedly describes Burisma Holdings seeking to pay then-Vice President Biden $5 million in return for a policy decision during his time as the Ukrainian point man for Barack Obama. The continued practice, and it seems like it happens all the time now, leaking false narratives to the friendly media outlets that foam at the mouth to get inside information. This is the FBI. They leak these false narratives to divert the attention of the American people instead of complying with constitutional oversight requests. And that's particularly bothered Senators Grassley and Johnson. Everybody knows the FBI has a penchant for leaking classified information to the media and producing documents that mysteriously show up in the media. Instead of complying with congressional requests, including a subpoena for that 1023 document the FBI had, the FBI and its associates started leaking to Democrat media, in some cases the exact same media figures they had worked with to spread the false Russia collusion narrative. Grassley He mentioned a May 18th article in the New York Times, likely the one by Adam Goldman, in which the noted Russia collusion hoaxer wrote a glowing profile of Timothy Tebalt that appeared to be sourced to Tebalt and the FBI. The profile attempted to discredit decorated FBI agents who opposed his political handling of sensitive investigation. Tebalt was one of the FBI agents who shut down legitimate investigations into the Biden family syndicate and spoke openly of his hatred toward Donald Trump and former Attorney General Bill Barr. Tebalt was reportedly forced out of the FBI last year after questions about his conduct became public. Brian Oten is another FBI officer under scrutiny for pushing Trump-Russia collusion and inappropriately discrediting Hunter Biden's stories. There are more examples of FBI leaks. They're everywhere. CNN's Evan Perez was used to push the FBI's spin on the document Grassley is looking for, this 1023 form. He famously joined with Jake Tapper and Jim Scotto to launder the Steele dossier to the American public back in 2017. All of this was purposeful to deflect the attention of the American people and to hide wrongdoing to keep those people in government from getting caught. 
So to mislead investigators, anonymous sources peddled to Perez that idea that the document was related to allegations supplied by Rudy Giuliani, the former New York City mayor and a Republican operative. The document has origins in a tranche of documents that Rudy Giuliani provided to the DOJ back in 2020. This is Perez saying that. It turns out that's not true. Not only is the document, which details information from a longtime trusted confidential human source, unrelated to the information Giuliani brought to the FBI, it includes information from a previous interview of the source in 2017, three years before the Giuliani stuff came out. And then there's another player in this thing, somebody that I think is Adam Schiff, part two. Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland. He picked up the mantle and started spreading the lies even further about this. He is the ranking Democrat on the House's Oversight Committee, which investigating FBI mishandling of investigations into the Biden family syndicate. Raskin serves a similar role to the one that Adam Schiff played when Rep. Devin Nunes of California was trying to unravel the Russia collusion hoax. Schiff's office was known for misleading leaks to CNN and other Democrat media outlets. He also falsely claimed for years to have hardcore evidence of treason and collusion with Russia by Donald Trump to steal the 2016 election. None of that has ever been brought forward. And even today, Adam Schiff still says he's got it. James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, is the House member overseeing the attempt to get this information that we now have from Ray's FBI. And it took him, he had to threaten the whole Ray in contempt. And so the FBI director had a staffer brief Raskin and Comer on that 1023 document. FBI briefings, leaks to friendly media outlets, official statements include a frustrating mixture of unsubstantiated insinuations that the documented allegation was legitimately closed. And it wasn't. Raskin even accused former Attorney General Bill Barr about lying about that document. Raskin, he said basically, former A.G. Barr is lying about it. Barr said that that document and that investigation was not closed, but it was forwarded to Delaware to a federal prosecutor there who picked it up and still is working on it. Raskin's lied about that. You know, we can spend our entire days listening to and going through this stuff. It's everywhere. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to get caught, caught in all of this evil and get our eyes off of what the real target is. The real target, my friends, is we have to take back control of the nation. The swamp, if you want to call it the swamp, the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., the political class, it doesn't matter what kind of name you put on it. We all know that it's there, it's real, and it is built 
with one principle and one principle only, to amass and maintain unlimited power over the entire population of the United States using, not doing it through the law, but using the law by corrupting the law and arbitrarily seizing power of one law over here, one bureau over here, and weaponizing any of that and all of that against the American people. Anybody that disagrees with them, you're a target. You're an absolute target. Just imagine what's happening right now to former President Donald Trump. If they can do that to a former president, seven indictment counts, supposedly because Donald Trump broke the classified document law. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. Doing that, uh, any president or former president that mishandles classified documents, the only outlet for the other part of the government to go after that person, that former president, is through civil litigation, not criminal law, criminal violations, because there are no crimes laid out as a penalty for any mishandling of classified documents by a former president. It's just factual. It's there. So why are they doing all of this? None of this is about substance. It's not about the legalities of what Trump did or didn't do, what Biden did or didn't do. By the way, former Vice President Pence, he was found to have classified documents in his possession. It is his home. Biden had 1,860 boxes of documents scattered across four different locations. Have you heard anything about any mishandling and any liability for mishandling of those documents by Donald, uh, excuse me, by Joe Biden, hadn't heard a peep. Supposedly, they're investigating it, but we haven't heard a peep. Do you think anything will happen there? No. The DOJ, the Department of Justice, FBI, other intelligence agencies that are all part of the executive branch, it's all controlled by Joe Biden and Democrats. They don't care any longer what you or I think or what we know, it doesn't matter to them. They just push through. You know why? We don't have the power. We, the people, have given our power of oversight to control those that we elect, send them to Washington, supposedly to represent us. The only way we can hold them accountable as citizens is with our votes, and more than half the nation feel like our voting system is polluted and it's not representative of the wills of the people, the citizens, the voters in the nation that actually vote. More than half. But then nobody wants to talk about it. You know why? Because if you talk about the 2020 election, you're called an election denier. That's what they call you. 
Forget about the substance. Forget about what you're asking for, the information you're after. Forget about all that. None of that matters. None of it matters is that constitutionally they work for us, not the other way around. None of that matters to them. They have created a bureaucracy, a vehemence, a monster that they have to continue to feed. And the only way to feed the monster who controls the swamp is to give the monster what he wants. And what does he want? Unfettered power. It used to be money. Not necessary now. Money doesn't matter. You know why? When you get power, you take control of everything, including all the money. And these people thumb their noses at the rule of law every day. The sitting president violated the law for his own financial good and doing so committing felony criminal acts. And so I'm one American. I've talked to several others overnight today. I'm one of those that believes Joe Biden's going to get away with it. Why is that? Because the swamp monster is bigger and more powerful than ever. Anytime Democrats control any branch of the government, the monster gets fed so the monster can just keep on trucking. Joe Biden's not the only corrupt member of the Biden family syndicate. An Arkansas judge Monday issued an order that threatens Hunter Biden with a year of prison and a $20,000 fine if he fails to provide financial information and show up in court next month to answer questions from the counsel of his child's mother. What's this all about? Last year, Hunter opened up his paternity agreement with London Roberts, who's the mother of his child, citing a substantial material change in his financial circumstances, including but not limited to his income. Hunter's payments are $20,000 per month in child support, and that calculation came from his income. Hunter's financials could show information about his family's business deals and those anonymous art sales. Hunter Biden, not an artist, maybe played around with a brush every once in a while, but last year he just announced and he started selling his own original paintings for $500,000 each. Oversight Committee went crazy. We got to know the facts about this. Art Studio was selling them. They wanted to get all the information about who was buying it. Who were buying these $500,000 Hunter Biden payments? Nope. They wouldn't give any information whatsoever. And because it's Hunter and not Joe, the House Oversight Committee had no authorization no ability to go dig that information up. We may never know about that. And evil people, you know what they know best? They know how evil works. And they know how to manipulate the system.
to get whatever it is that they want. Wow. Well, one of the truth speakers of our generation, that would be Tucker Carlson, got canned at Fox News a month or so ago. And everybody's been waiting and wondering where he's going to show up again. Well, he showed up last week at Twitter. We were told previously that was where he was going to go. And Tucker, at least temporarily, is at Twitter. And by the way, that first episode of Tucker on Twitter that aired, gosh, a week or so ago, more than 20 people have viewed, 20 million people have viewed that video, 20 million. And episode two was released last night of Tucker on Twitter. Here he is himself. Episode two, Tucker Carlson. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. Let's say you wanted to control a country. How would you start? We'd want to make sure you had the complete obedience of everybody inside your borders who was authorized to use deadly force. You would start with the military and then federal law enforcement and move your way down ultimately to agencies like the IRS. Controlling the guns would be a top priority for you if you ever wanted to go dictatorial, if you wanted to be baby doc. But let's say you had deeper ambitions. Let's say you wanted the power not simply to control people's behavior, but to control how they think, not just their bodies, but their minds, as a god would. In that case, you'd need to take charge of the society's taboos. A taboo is something that by popular consensus is not allowed. A taboo may not be illegal, but it doesn't need to be. Over time, social prohibitions are more powerful and more enduring than laws. Societies are defined by what they will not permit, as are famously religions. Muslims don't eat pork, neither do Orthodox Jews. Traditional Christians oppose extramarital sex. The Amish avoid electricity, and so on. American society isn't overtly religious, but it's governed by taboos, and it always has been. What's interesting is how fast our taboos are changing. This is not happening organically. What we're allowed to dislike is being dictated to us from above, sometimes by force. Until fairly recently, for example, it was taboo in this country to attack people on the basis of their race. That was the main lesson of the Second World War, we were told again and again. The one thing we learned from the Nazis is that it's dangerous to reduce human beings to their genetic code. There is no master race. That made sense, but apparently we no longer believe it. Punishing people based on their skin color is not only permitted in modern America, it is mandatory throughout business and government and higher education, as long as the victims are white. At one time, that would have been unimaginable. So with the current behavior of our politicians. As recently as the 1992 presidential campaign, adultery was considered disqualifying for anyone seeking higher office. Bill Clinton was very nearly derailed in the New Hampshire primary by his affair with Jennifer Flowers. Clinton went to elaborate lengths to lie about the relationship because he had no choice. But he was the last presidential candidate who had to meet this standard. By 2008, it was obvious to anybody who was paying attention that Barack Obama had a strange and highly creepy personal life. Yet nobody ever asked him about it. By that point, a leader's behavior within his own marriage, the core relationship of his life, had been declared irrelevant. It was Barack Obama's business, not yours. One by one, with increasing speed, our old taboos have been struck down. Those that remain have lost their moral force. Stealing, flaunting your wealth, striking women, smoking marijuana on the street, shameless public hypocrisy, 
taking other people's money for not working. All of these things used to be considered unacceptable in America, not anymore. So it probably shouldn't surprise us that the greatest taboo of all is teetering on the edge of acceptability, child molestation. A generation ago, talking to someone else's children about sex was widely considered grounds for a thrashing. Touching them sexually was effectively a death penalty offense. When Jeffrey Dahmer was bludgeoned to death in the bathroom of a Wisconsin prison in 1994, the Milwaukee district attorney had to caution the public not to turn Dahmer's killer into a folk hero. Jeffrey Dahmer had molested and murdered children. People felt justified in celebrating his death. 25 years later, that standard had changed dramatically in the state of Wisconsin, as in the rest of the country. In the summer of 2020, during the BLM riots in Kenosha, 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse defended his life from a convicted child molester called Joseph Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum was trying to kill Rittenhouse, so Rittenhouse shot him in self-defense. But it was Joseph Rosenbaum whom the media cast as the victim of the story. Kyle Rittenhouse, meanwhile, an underage boy fending off violence from a child molester, was denounced as the villain. Ultimately, he was indicted for murder. One of the things that this tells us is the people who run our country no longer see child molesters as the worst among us. It's never been more obvious than it was yesterday when the Wall Street Journal ran a long expose about kiddie porn on Instagram. Instagram, the journal found, quote, helps connect and promote a vast network of accounts openly devoted to the commission and purchase of underage sex content. Instagram connects pedophiles and connects them to content sellers of child pornography. In one instance, the paper discovered that Instagram was recommending the phrase incest toddlers to users who'd expressed interest in similar material. By the way, no one at Instagram denied that any of this had happened, nor did Mark Zuckerberg, who controls the company. The journal story was accurate. It was all pretty shocking, but not as shocking as what happened next, which was effectively nothing at all. The largest circulation newspaper in the United States revealed that one of the world's most influential companies was promoting pedophilia, and nobody in power did anything about it. The Justice Department did not announce an investigation. Congress did not schedule hearings. The guy who runs Instagram, Adam Mosseri, still has his job. In fact, Mosseri's last tweet, which is pinned, is a video of himself bragging about how effective Instagram's algorithm is. Keep in mind as you watch this, it's real. People often talk about the algorithm, but there is no one algorithm for Instagram. There are many algorithms and ranking processes we use to try to personalize the experience to make it as interesting as we can for each and every person who uses Instagram. We believe in this idea of personalization. What you're interested in and what I'm interested in is different, and so therefore your Instagram and my Instagram should be different. <laughs> what you're interested in and what I'm interested in is different, Masseri explains patiently, so your Instagram feed will be different from mine. You're interested in children, that's why you're getting all the incest toddler posts. It's a highly personalized experience. That tweet is still up tonight. Of course, everybody at Instagram, in fact, everyone everywhere in authority, will still claim to think that child molestation is bad, but the tone has changed unmistakably. When they say it's bad, they mean it in a kind of abstract way. Bad like a civil war in Central Africa is bad. You wouldn't prefer it, but there are reasons it happens. That's why we now refer to pedophiles as minor attracted persons, because honestly, who can judge? These people are a sexual minority, so pause before you attack them. And in any case, it's not like pedophiles are barging into the Capitol building to sit in Nancy Pelosi's chair. 
or asking uncomfortable questions about the last election. For miscreants like that, no punishment is too harsh. So far this month, the FBI's Washington field office has issued 11 press releases. 10 out of 11 have been about January 6th. Keep in mind that January 6th happened more than two and a half years ago. Now you know why the feds were ignoring kid touchers on Instagram. They're too busy to respond. They've got much more important things to do, like finding white supremacists. White supremacists are America's new child molesters. We've got zero tolerance for white supremacists because no one threatens the life of this country more than they do. Here's Joe Biden once again making that very clear last month. Stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. Pardon the feedback, but you heard the point. White supremacy is the most dangerous threat to the American homeland. Joe Biden just told us that. It's more dangerous than the threat of nuclear war with Russia. It's more dangerous than the threat of the Mexican drug cartels, who've already killed hundreds of thousands of Americans and are now in control of swaths of our southwestern states. White supremacy is that bad, Joe Biden says. In fact, it's worse. But what is it? That's the question. Can anyone in authority actually define white supremacy? What is it? Is white supremacy liking white people too much? If so, that's going to put those of us with white children in a pretty tough spot. Or is white supremacy something much more obviously bad, like trying to expel all non-whites from America and creating some kind of ethnostate? If that's Joe Biden's definition, what exactly is the scope of this threat? How many people are currently working on this American white ethnostate project? And what are the chances they're going to pull it off? Our guess is not very many and precisely zero. But we can't say for sure because no one has showed us the numbers. These are not rhetorical questions. When the President of the United States describes something as the worst possible crime Americans can commit, you have a right to know what that crime is. You used to have that right. Under our pre-revolutionary legal code before George Floyd, questions like these were easy to answer. A crime was defined as something that an elected legislature had explicitly banned, usually an act that hurt somebody else. In America, crimes were described precisely with words in English and then preserved in books, which you could read yourself. If you ever wondered whether you were committing a crime, you could just look it up. You could know for sure whether you were a criminal. Now you can't. And needless to say, that's the point. The point of the exercise is to keep you off balance, to keep you afraid. When no one's willing to define the offense, you can't be sure whether or not you're committing it. You could be accused at any time and everything you have taken from you. You live in fear. Remember this guy? Emmanuel Cafferty was driving near a Black Lives Matter protest in Poway in his SDG&E truck when he says he noticed somebody following him and trying to get his attention. Later, that person posted a picture of him making what some believed is a white supremacy symbol on Twitter, Cafferty says he had no idea about any white power symbols and was just cracking his knuckles outside his window when the picture was taken of him. Later that day, he says he was notified by SDG&E that he would be suspended pending an investigation, and a few days later, he was fired. What that man did was so offensive, as you just saw, that local news had to blur the photograph of his hand. He was fired from his job. His life was destroyed for cracking his knuckles. 
He didn't know cracking his knuckles was racist in his defense, but then nobody did until the day that poor Emmanuel Cafferty was unwise enough to crack them. When a crime has no definition, anyone can be guilty of it. It's hard to relax in a country like that. The old system was better. Government operated on the basis of laws, not amorphous moral terror. Politicians couldn't accuse you of something they couldn't define. The legal code was straightforward. Child molestation was a crime. Having unfashionable opinions was not. Outside of the public sphere, the population mostly governed itself, as it does in every society, and used taboos to do it. You knew what was allowed and what wasn't because the rules didn't change very often. The taboos were organic. They derived from collective experience and instinct, the two most reliable guides to life. They evolved for a reason. They still do. Our job at this point is to protect them, despite the hectoring, the nonstop hectoring from the people in charge. You know the outlines of right and wrong. You were born knowing them. So don't let them talk you out of what you can smell. Don't let them rationalize away your intuitive moral sense. Cling to your taboos like your life depends on them, because it does. Cherish and protect them like family heirlooms. That's exactly what they are. Don't hear people say the news is full of lies. Son Kennedy's motorcade. 239 Tucker Carlson, as usual, that's episode two of his new show that uh, is appearing on Twitter. I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing. Obviously, at Fox News, he was on every night, Monday through Friday. But let me just say this, and I'm going to move on quickly. I've got one story I want to bring to you before we end the day together. But Tucker Carlson had 20 million viewers of episode number one last week. And as of about 6 a.m. this morning, Central Time, over 5 million have already heard what you just heard a few minutes ago. What does that tell you? What does it tell you? tells me the same thing that I'm getting watching Fox News's ratings numbers. Do you know the nighttime shows are now getting beaten and beaten miserably by even MSNBC and CNN? That's unconscionable. And it's not just because Tucker Carlson's gone. It's because Americans, when that happened, they woke up and they found out and discovered Fox News is going into the proverbial tank. And Americans don't like that. Can't finish the day without opening this up for you. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's the one that led the charge for progressives' once fringe Green New Deal. Think about this. This should scare you to death. She's now just one election away from becoming the chair of a House subcommittee that's responsible for overseeing America's oil and gas drilling on public lands. Oh, my gosh. AOC currently serves as the ranking member of the Energy and Mineral Resources Subcommittee that establishes her as the prime candidate to head the committee and, when that happens, take steps to advance her progressive climate agenda in the event Democrats take control of the House of Representatives. That should scare everybody. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Wow, it's been a full day, a full Friday. And more and more stuff is going to come out today and over the weekend. I encourage you, check out our bullet points tomorrow morning, our Saturday bullet points. We'll keep you up to date with all the important things. Don't miss a thing. You guys have a great Friday and a great weekend. Back Monday. Hope life's been good to you since you've been gone. I'm doing fine now. I finally moved on. It's not so bad. I'm not that sad. I'm not surprised.